0: Welcome to the Protestants and Politics podcast. I'm your host, Matt Nasworth. I've been exploring the intersection of churches, Christians, theology and public life for over 20 years as both a professor and a journalist. But I still have lots of questions. I invite you to continue learning with me as I interview interesting voices in this field.
1: It's hard to to explain or describe, but I feel like I speak on behalf of many evangelical women who are honest about it. It was a betrayal. it was a, it was the ultimate betrayal that these are the very men, many of them who were defending that type of banter as locker room talk that have de- you know devoted years in ministry to exhorting men to, love their wives as Christ loved the church, to respect women, to cherish women, to be chivalrous in the home, and to then turn around and say something that trite was, a, a, again, a waking up for me that something is not adding up here.
0: How should Christians respond to the misogynist in the White House? Why do some Christians defend President Donald Trump's objectification of women? This was a major issue in the 2016 election and has come up again in this year's election. Trump won 61% of white, non-college-educated women when he ran against Hillary Clinton. But polling this year has shown a major erosion in his support among this group. In response, Trump has been tweeting appeals to, quote, the suburban housewives of America. That sounds like the name of a reality TV show, doesn't it, for my reality TV president? My guest to talk about this is best selling author and women's ministry leader Vicki Courtney. She has authored many books and devotionals, including Five Conversations You Must Have with Your Daughter and Five Conversations You Must Have with Your Son. Two of her books won Evangelical Christian Publishers Association awards, and she has appeared on CNN and Fox News as a youth culture commentator. In 2016, she wrote a book for teen girls, which is related to our topic today, titled Reflect, Discovering the Beauty, Worth, and Wonderfulness of You. She also contributed a chapter for The Spiritual Danger of Donald Trump, 30 Evangelical Christians on Justice, Truth, and Moral Integrity. The name of her chapter was Donald Trump's Low View of Women, Silence is Not an Option. Which was, uh, And that book was published on June 1st, and I also have a chapter in that book. Two weeks ago, she delivered a speech at the Convention on Founding Principles. This was a group of conservatives and moderates that were offering an alternative to the Republican Convention that was happening that same week. And I'll put links to Vicki Courtney's website and to that speech in the podcast description. Vicki Courtney, welcome to the Protestants and Politics podcast.
1: Well, thank you so much for having me.
0: All right. So before we get to Trump, just to sort of set this up, uh, take me back to 2016. Uh, You had published this book for teen girls that I'd mentioned in the introduction, and you were also involved in uh, conferences and things like that uh, with a special focus on teen girls. So what was the concern you had at that time that you were trying to address, and what was the main point you wanted to get across
1: Sure, sure. So in my ministry, um, and I've been in ministry since, well, officially 1998, I held an event for college women um, in Austin, Texas, and about 500 women plus showed up that very first year. And that led to more events for college women, eventually events for teenage girls, even middle school girls, um, some mother-daughter events along the way. And while I no longer do those events, I'm a grandmother now, so they typically don't want to hear from Mimi, you know, standing up there on the stage. But one of my, just the main messages or the themes, if you will, to most of my writing and my speaking to young women, even to adult women, um, would be on the subject of worth. And uh, to, and I, and I call on them, to reject the world's shallow equations for worth, you know, worth equals what you look like, or worth equals what you do, or worth equals what other people think. That this tends to be how we define our worth, women especially, um, and we see societal media pressures on women to um, to basically, you know, support that. And so, I've spent, you know, two get two decades really trying to be that cheerleader to young women, to adult women, that we have a better standard. And it's, you know, of course, God's standard for worth that we view ourselves as made in the very image of God. Um, And so fast forward to 2016. And after years spent uh, rallying that message, we end up with Donald Trump on the ticket. And I have, as a background, always up until that point, voted Republican. Um, And as soon as I was made aware of, well, there's, it's like, which one do we even pick now? There's so many comments that were public knowledge that could be, you know, traced back to things he said in interviews or in writing, um, where he had a clear, just very low view of women. Um, and then the, you know, so already I'd made up my mind that this is just so disturbing that we would even be entertaining voting for someone like this and then add to the heap of all that, the racism, the xenophobia, uh, those were just, it's just a deal breaker for me. And of course, in the Access Hollywood uh, hot mic moment when that leaked, um, I really felt like that was going to be the moment when evangelicals withdrew support. I was sure of it. You know, absolutely how could they, with something that solid right there, um, tout this message of respect for women and chivalry and and all that, and then turn around and vote for a man like this with a track track record like this? And of course, as you and I know, I was wrong. <laughs> not only did that not happen, they, as you mentioned, showed showed up in um, quite a or a majority voting for him. And, you know, I have friends. I have friends that cast a vote in that direction and they boiled it down to I'm voting for platform over person. You know, you hear the lines. I'm I'm not. We can't expect the president to be a pastor in chief and all these lines that we hear. Um, However, you know, I felt it was important enough to take a stand and ended up voting third party or a write in candidate in 16 um, because. I felt it would be hypocritical for me after writing and speaking on this topic for so many years and believing it wholeheartedly for myself, as well as all other women to then turn around and give, you know, a pass to someone who has, um, who is guilty on so many fronts of just having a very, very low view of women. And then you add to that, the dozen or more, uh, accusations of sexual assault it was you know just too much
0: and what was what was the reaction from your evangelical friends when you came out against trump
1: it wasn't good (laughs) i'll tell you that much um i i posted a blog post uh, explaining in so many words what i just shared that I, i just couldn't in good conscience support this candidate for these reasons and I did have some who agreed with me and felt the same way, but I did get a lot of pushback. I had, um, you know, a, a lot coming on saying it's we have two choices on this ballot. Um, if you don't vote for him, then you're voting for abortion. the The lesser of two evils argument was used quite often. I think one of the most offensive comments I heard from a woman was a one, a woman who contacted me after I released the blog post and uh, said, I have experienced sexual abuse myself. So I'm very sensitive to this topic. And while it's very disappointing that the president or the nominee has been accused of this, I've decided I need to take one for the team. Hmm. (laughs) And that's when I thought, you know what I, I don't don't think I'm a good fit for this team anymore if what, if this is what it boils down to. So, you know, I I don't understand why we would have to even um, come to that conclusion. And um, obviously I couldn't. And so, um, yeah, in answer, not a great response. I, I took a hit with, I, you know, I of course suffered getting, Unfriended and unfollowed by some, but people have short memories with things like that and I didn't typically talk a lot about politics much after he was elected until probably a couple of years ago and it's not often um it's usually you know something that's pretty grievous where you know, like standing in front of a church and holding a Bible above your head upside down and that sort of thing and I'll post something and I'll take the hits again and get unfollowed by a couple hundred people in an hour, and then the dust settles again. and And so that's pretty much what it's looked like for the last couple of years. Or I've posted about um, the refugee ceiling, the numbers being dropped under his administration. I volunteer with Refugee Services of Texas, and this is one good thing. I will tell you that has happened as a result of 2016. Is um, it was. It was a wake-up call for me personally. It really caused me to examine some uh, faulty belief systems or structures that I uh, that I had in place in my own life, where I had just assumed or bought into the formula that good Christians vote this way, or um, you know, if we want to save the unborn, then we got to align ourselves with the Republican candidate. And And so I began to do my homework and really dig around, you know, for more information on on some of these topics. And and as I grew more frustrated over things that were being said during the presidency and such, I decided one day I could either be that person that grumbles and complains on the sidelines or I could step up and be a part of the solution. So, I a friend of mine recommended that I look into Refugee Services of Texas and I did a training and I volunteered and and that's just been it's been eye-opening for me to see that there are other issues out there, pro-life issues that have typically been ignored by conservatives for decades. And so I've I've been detangling, I guess is a good word now, my um, own personal beliefs and i've never felt stronger in my faith as far as believing in the gospel and the red letter words of jesus christ himself and uh, but i'm really uh, at a place in my life where i'm trying to focus my own ministry efforts um, to look more like the the greatest commandment that jesus talked about to love our the lord our god with our heart soul mind and strength and love our neighbors ourselves and i don't Know that we're doing a great job of that in the church right now. I think there is a reckoning going on, and uh, and so I I do feel that some good has come from it. And I, as far as personal introspection and reevaluating some dangerous, maybe toxic, uh, belief structures that were in place prior to the election, um, but it's been painful all the same. But I guess no pain, no gain, right?
0: <laughs> yeah. So that that was actually the last. Subheading of your chapter uh, from Spiritual Danger of Donald Trump was is is waking up. That's your last subheading.
1: Yes,
0: and you write. I'm just going to read it here. You write quote Trump's brash and unashamed objectification of women, coupled with his lack of sorrow and repentance, thrust the issue of objectification into the spotlight, warts and all. The underbelly has been exposed for all to see, and it cannot be unseen. And then later, uh, you also write about. How you say, "I too am waking up so you're you're saying that your involvement there with the refugees is part of that uh, waking up process for you
1: absolutely, yes, it has um it, it, you know and i've I've grown particularly close to the Burmese refugee community in Austin and uh, by default of having signed up to do an airport pickup in February of two thousand nineteen, I believe it was and I picked up a family of four from the airport, two little girls, two daughters under the age of four and didn't speak a word of English. And uh, and then my involvement in helping that family throughout the year uh, get established in the city of Austin, apply for social security cards, drive the dad to job interviews, apply for food assistance programs and kindergarten programs and such. I was, I've just been made aware of so many other issues that um i think we're we've been insulated from for many many years and myself included and so i realized that i'd been in somewhat of an echo chamber for even though i've been writing these christian books i've been traveling around and speaking at women's conferences i was guilty as well that after a while you grow comfortable with your own people in a sense and who can uh reflect back the same uh beliefs and values and uh, it's hard to get outside of our comfort zones. And so that's what volunteering did for me is it nudged me out of my comfort zone. I emerged from, I'm still emerging from that echo chamber of sorts and um, learning about so many other you know issues out there that need our attention and even issues that I held different positions on. I'm ashamed to say at times in my life when I was ignorant to, what was really going on behind the backdrop. It's easy to say callous things when it comes to uh, immigration and asylum seekers and not understanding the full extent of the problem or those who don't have health care and to imagine that it's by some fault of their own. And so it's been a waking up in many, many areas of my life.
0: There's another defense of uh, Trump that I want to talk about. So you, I mean, the sub, this, your subheading is silence is not an option. So you're, you have a message for those who are just silent about the issue of the objectification of women. And you talked about also the people who are more, you know, we have to do a vote for Trump because of abortion and um, they're pro-life, but there's another group as well, uh, who have defended Trump by saying things like, well, it's just locker room talk or boys will be boys, all guys do this, it's not that big a deal. So what's your response when you hear those sorts of defenses?
1: I mean, even hearing it now, just hearing you say it just makes my blood boil. Because it was really, I I believe, the locker room talk statement in the aftermath, immediate aftermath of the leaked hot mic moment for the Access Hollywood Tapes. And uh, an evangelical, male evangelical leader uh, saying that was, of course, I not a turning point because I've already turned, if you will. But that is when it was almost as if I, it's hard to to explain or describe. But I feel like I speak on behalf of many evangelical women who are honest about it. It was a betrayal. It was a, it was the ultimate betrayal that these are the very men, many of them, who were defending that type of banter as locker room talk that have de- you know devoted years in ministry to exhorting men to love their wives as Christ loved the church, to respect women, to cherish women, to be chivalrous in the home, and to then turn around and say something that trite was a, a, again, a waking up for me that something is not adding up here. So yeah, that was a definite uh, wake up call or moment to me where I I think for me, it, it was that moment where I realized I will not be silent. I will not take one for the team, whatever that means, right? I will not stand by and say nothing. And I certainly won't buy this one, that it's locker room talk.
0: Yeah, and one of the things uh, you brought up in your book, or br- brought up in the chapter, so wh- wh- why is the objectification of women bad for women? Uh, and this, this goes directly to the point of, you know, in our culture, when we do it, when it becomes a cultural value, but also why it's important to have leadership, such as in the White House, that does not objectify women. So just talk for a minute about wh- what what it means for women to live in a culture that objectifies them.
1: Sure. And I, I've actually, I shared in that chapter some groundbreaking um, or a study, a groundbreaking study in, back in 2007 by the American Psychological Association that linked objectification to common mental health problems in women. Um, everything from disordered eating to self-esteem, body image issues, depression, Um, Another study related the effects of female objectification um, and found that women who are objectified are viewed as less than fully human and perceived to have less of a mind for thoughts or decisions and are viewed as less deserving of moral treatment by others. And so, you know, it's not surprising that uh, many crimes that we see today, such as rape, pornography, sex trafficking, begin with objectification, which is why we can't ignore this issue. And we certainly can't minimize it or write it off to locker room talk. And those are these studies that I just, you know, some of the findings that I just shared a minute ago, I've, I've, shared those same studies in books I've written to mothers on raising daughters, the five conversations you must have with your daughters. Um, I've shared them in the five conversations you must have with your sons, because I think it's equally important to educate our young men as to the dangers of objectification and remind them that um, they are to view women as made in the image of God likewise to themselves. And um, so this is nothing new. And I've, one of the reasons I feel mothers picked up that book, those books is, you know, this is these books were coming out in a time where, I mean, fashion was, it was, I, you know, definitely risque and mothers were frustrated because it was, you know, the clothes are objectifying their daughters comments were, I mean, social media, the pressures were thick. And so there was a lot of support, and you know, really a backlash from the Christian community that we need to reject this. And then in 2016, crickets. Right? We we can't say anything, or we're told, you know, well, he's the next. He's like King Cyrus, or he's not really. We can't expect him to act like a pastor, or you know. And so again, I and I say in the book, I am when I wrote that chapter, I shared that I I sincerely was not writing it to influence a vote. I feel like most people have made up their mind at this point. One of the things I wanted to do is make an appeal to those who have come to the conclusion that they will be supporting Trump, that they cannot remain silent about his attitude, comments, behavior towards women. And I would say um, in regard to racism, in regard to xenophobia, I mean, all those issues, they need to uh, have the courage to say, okay, you know, I feel like I've no other choice but to vote for the platform, but I am sickened and disheartened by what I hear this man say, and he is nothing like the Jesus that we claim to follow in Scripture. Because the next generation is watching and they are listening and they're going to be, they're already pretty confused and studies or statistics show that a lot of them are bailing. They're just, they're out of here in regard to the faith, because I believe this is a huge issue where they've been taught these things in the home, but then they hear nothing or they hear even worse, a defense for a man who has degraded women. Long track record of degrading comments and actions.
0: So wh- one of the things that comes up with regard to White Evangelicals' support for Trump is whether they changed to accommodate Trump, or whether Trump revealed something that was already there that was kind of hidden before. Uh, and I'm wondering what you think about that with regards to to uh, misogyny is you know is this something that were these issues already there within the church but kind of we didn't see them before and then Trump revealed them or is this or do you think it's more you know they're changing to accommodate voting for Trump
1: I think it's both but I do believe that it revealed uh and that was part of what I shared in the waking up portion there that I wrote about at the end that really Trump's hot mic moments, comments about women, and then being elected to the highest office in the land left enough women, I think, feeling out of that in that sense of betrayal that many of us felt, it ignited the Me Too movement. All of a sudden, this wasn't even a a really a Christian issue, so much as it was women realizing when, you know, I, I shared that analogy of the underbelly has been exposed and it cannot be unseen. I think for many of us, it was like, wow, this is truly evil. And we don't have to tolerate this. This is not normal. It doesn't have to be the norm in how men and women treat one another. That women just, you know, we accept that we will always be viewed as objects for the male viewing pleasure and um, more of a, a summation of our, you know, body parts um, it doesn't have to be that way. That there exists a, a structure, if we insist on it, where women can be respected as equals in the sense of being, from a Christian standpoint, made in the very image of God and thus deserving of respect and honor and dignity. Um, and so, I think it was a waking up for a lot of women who, and and I put myself in that category, that maybe I. Ignored it along the way because I did, I, I never questioned that it could be different, if that makes sense. And once it was exposed, I really do feel like that that is the backlash that we saw that ignited the Me Too movement that then led to the Church Too movement that's still reverberating in our faith communities today um, because women became more sensitized at that point to comments that were objectifying, to actions that were objectifying. I know I did. And we became concerned for our daughters and our granddaughters and the next generation. So I do think that was a lot of it, that for many, uh, it exposed um, a flaw in the system, or I think I compared it to a crack in the foundation of this sort of Patriarchal structure that has been in place for a long time. And we hear those words here and there. And, you know, but I think it showed the ugliness of it, warts and all, exposed it. And, um, but then I also believe your comment that for many or for others, it was, you know, wow, more of a frantic fear. I have no choice but to explain this away because I can't imagine voting any other way. So, I have to, you know, we call that what confirmation bias. I have to look for ways to confirm my own bias to this party, uh, which causes, you know, then uh, all kinds of, uh, I mean, I think we see that with those adhering to the conspiracy theories and, you know, anything we can grasp onto to try to confirm what we desperately, I guess, want to believe because it brings us what maybe a sense of security. I know I haven't felt real secure myself personally for the the past several years, and um, so I'm not sure that really works at the end of the day.
0: Yeah, and there's definitely been a lot of turmoil with regard to the Me Too and Church Two movements as well. You know, we've seen a lot of turmoil within the church over issues of race, especially this year. And it's it's a painful thing to see. But do, what what do you think about the the future? Do you think uh, the church would be mo- moving toward a better place as a result of this turmoil and seeing uh, and, and and the pain and everything that this is uncovering?
1: I do, and maybe I am being overly optimistic. But I, I saw someone yesterday, and my on my Facebook newsfeed posted something like, "I just wish things were back to normal." with the church and I thought that's the last thing I want. <laughs> I just you know like I, I I hope and pray we have not been through all this pain and suffering over the past several years to go back to how it was before, right? And this sort of um brand of American evangelical Christianity that for me, once exposed, looked really unattractive and nothing like what scripture talked about when it comes to being ambassadors for christ to loving god loving our neighbors and so i really do believe that we are seeing a spiritual reckoning of sorts in this this country and i hope it's not all in vain i the last thing i want is for things to go back to normal and so there's there is an excitement and all that too that as painful as all this is what will it lead to in the future now i think we'll we see the fighting happening right now almost like a of those that are clinging on to whatever shred they can, that is like the old way. They don't want to give it up. And then we see there are others that are happy at this point to allow God to define where are we going from here? And we don't really know, do we? Because everything is, is up in the air. So I'm more, you know, I'm more optimistic. I I really have written a lot about, you know, and I know it's cliche. We hear a lot in the faith circles about just that that void that we all have, or that God shaped vacuum. But I really do believe that. I think we are created with this this void in our our hearts, our souls that only God can fill, only the gospel can fill. And at the end of the day, it doesn't matter who is elected. It doesn't matter which political party has an advantage. At some point, if we have not filled that void with Jesus Christ and His life-saving life and life-changing gospel, we are going to be left wanting for more. And that's where His followers, Christ's followers, come in. And we're going to have a tremendous opportunity in the aftermath of all of this we do right now to um, trumpet that hope that we have when people are showing up with that emptiness in their their lives their hearts their souls that a party couldn't fill it um a platform couldn't fill it a candidate couldn't fill it and so at the end of the day i feel like it's all being stripped away from us the things that we have built our security on a lot of um you know a foundation that's not going to stand
0: so uh... Uh, Last question. So how can listeners uh, follow you and then anything you have uh, coming up you want to talk about?
1: Goodness, I don't have any writing projects going on right now. I am in the process of praying about what comes next. And um, I don't really update my site regularly, but they're welcome to hop over to VickiCourtney.com and they can see what books I've written. I have them all listed there and links to um, my resources. And then I'm pretty active on Instagram and hit or miss on Facebook. And I'm one of those silent observers, usually on Twitter. I just spend my time liking things and every now and then I'll retweet something. But that's, those are my little corners that I hang out in right now. And uh, that's where they can learn a little bit more.
0: Okay. Vicki Courtney, thank you so much for being on the Politics and po- Protestants pod. <laughs> ah, Protestants. <laughs> Protestants and Politics podcast. <laughs>
1: well, thank you for having me, Nat.
0: This episode was recorded on September 10th of 2020. Also, check out the Protestants and Politics newsletter, and you can support this podcast at my coffee page. Links for both of those are in the podcast description. Thanks for listening.